You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Hey, welcome back to Twibbly, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, it's not his house that's haunted, it's his son. It's Jeff McLarge Huge. Hi, everybody. Yes, my son is haunted. You can bring the haunt out of him if you feed him black bean burgers like we had for dinner last night. Oh, that'll that'll bring a lot of things out of it, a lot of people. It definitely does. It's how you can tell the spirits are being moved. <laughs> oh, that's the end of that party. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Because the, the wallpaper's peeling off. What's uh? What's up? How you doing? What's going uh, on? Oh, there's not much going on. I'm all right. Not my favorite week in week of the year, but it's a it's a it's been a nice summer so far, and thus and, you know thus far, and I'm I'm sitting out on my patio a lot, and it's blazing hot lately, and I can't complain. So so there's that. Yeah. Yep, I got the got the whole bike ride thing going and all that, and you know entertaining my neighbors on the unicycle always fun not trying to entertain them but here i am have you ever gone over to ask them if they could help you put like a like baseball card in the spokes so it'll sound like a motorcycle when you pedal by no hey do you have a rubber nose i could borrow <laughs> the next thing i'm going to learn how to do is to play the accordion and then i'm going to combine these two things to be an accordion playing oh. unicycle rider have you ever picked up an actual accordion those things are amazing yes i have they're wicked heavy too they are they are yeah they are not for the feeble that's why I, I never I always figured if I was gonna get jumped and beaten up by a band it would be a polka band because of the <laughs> preponderance of accordion players in there and like there's no way I could fight my way out of that. Those guys must have arms like gorillas to play those things. All I said was beer barrel polka sucks and then that they find my body in a quarry someplace. My mother wanted to play the accordion. My my, my grandmother was like a lunatic. Yeah. Um she, my mother wanted to learn to play the accordion when she was a little girl, and my grandmother said no, probably because it was expensive. But uh, also, really? my my grandmother's real reason for not wanting it was it was too heavy, and she didn't want my mother to hurt herself, so she got her a violin instead. That's the uh, more f- frail person's accordion uh, substitute, I think. I played violin for five or six years when I was a kid. I loved it. Oh yeah, I really did. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I wish I wish I had kept up with it. And uh, like any old person says, back when I was young, if I could go back, I'd tell myself to practice more. I I really would do that though. Probably like slap myself around and be like, hey dummy, hey you can you can learn a lot from this. Oh yeah, and you probably could have got ahead of that curve because there's like a lot of rock bands that have violins in them now. I know if I, I can name like three of them off the top of my head right now. Just give me, give me some names. Uh, maybe I should have said off the top of my head. <laughs> that it? brings us to today's yeah. trivia question. Was it, was how many, how many rock bands have violinists in them? Bill? No, um, well, I, well, Yellow Card's one of them, I believe. Yellow Card is one, and then there's a local band with, and the, I know the girl's name. Her name is Sierra. Um, uh-huh. I, oh, Frantic Endeavor. That's it. A local band that has a, a violin in it, and oh, yeah, and there's a couple of other ones too. 
I saw there's a band that I saw that toured and came here called Long, and it's it's a two person act. It's a, a drummer and a woman with a cello, an electric cello, which was they were awesome. Oh, that's like, yeah, that's like um, Rasputina. It's two girls, two girls with cellos and a drummer. We should, what we need is we need a three girl, three cello, three accordion band called the Triple Threat. Yeah, and, I can, and, and I, we'll only do covers of death metal songs. And and. You can get your violin, and I can get my ukulele, and it'll be Attack of the Four-String Unsexy Instruments. <laughs> I like it. And so as soon as we can find somebody with a sousaphone, we can start touring. Oh, yeah, I'm all for that. Yep. All right. Hey, Jeff, in your in your bag of tricks, do you have any spare trivia questions laying around? Because I, I don't have any. I do have a spare trivia question hanging around. I'm glad you asked. Okay. And this trivia question is tied directly to this week because it's it you'll understand why. No spoilers. I will I will not spoil, but I'm, I'm going to give you the question itself. What Beatles song was the first to chart in the United States Hot 100? Oh come on, that's easy. That's okay. Yeah, I want to hold your hand. Everybody knows that. Everybody says that, and everybody's wrong. What? I'll tell you the right answer at the end of the show. You better. All right. Will. Okay. All right. This is the week beginning. This is the week beginning July the 5th, and I believe it is your turn to start. Well, it's good. It's uh, July the 5th. In, in 1994, a little one-man operation started up in uh, California, I think, and it was a, an online, the first online book-selling company called Amazon. Heard of it. And it started by a guy named, oh, it was in Washington, Bellevue, Washington, by a guy named Jeff Bezos, and he went on in a relatively short time, especially if you think about it in like internet years, to pretty much wipe out chain bookstores worldwide and has sort of set about becoming the sort of online one-stop shop for all things of all types of all people would ever need. Shipped to your door without too much trouble. Now, that may sound like an advertisement, but it's not. Oh, no. It's just a statement of oh, fact. Oh, no, we're making fun of him. <laughs> uh, he, I think he's the richest person on the planet right now, too, with like 40 bajillion they have to make up another alien type of dollars money for him because billions and trillions I don't think cover anymore. Yeah, I think I seem to remember them saying he's on track to be a trillionaire within the next six years. Got divorced, what, a couple years back, right? And it was like $550 million that he gave to his ex-wife, you know, when she was kind of out of the picture. Yeah. And I was like, 500 That's a lot of money. Um, that's a lot of cake, yep. Oof, imagine what it was like splitting the house. Every now and then he gets to go, you know, stand in front of Congress and answer questions too about business practices and things. And it was really interesting. Like um, I remember, like in the '90s, around around here anyway, like Walmart didn't really hit this area until like I think the late '80s or early '90s. You know, they were more of a southern thing. And I just remember hearing about them, like you know, oh, they move into town, then all the mom and pop shops close down, and nobody goes to the mom and pop shops anymore. And now Amazon. You know, was giving Walmart a really big run for their money, especially right. over the last year when everybody was locked in their houses. I, I don't know that with everybody being locked in their houses for the better part of a year, if if, if it would have been as, I'm not going to say it was easy because it wasn't, but as logistically doable for people if they didn't have the, the technology and the infrastructure to be able to do things like order from the internet and get books and records and clothes and stuff from Amazon. But like their whole business model became one that got adopted by Food shipping companies like HelloFresh, again, not advertising them or anything, but or like what, Instacart and other stuff that you could go and build that sort of online checkout. Right. 
and then have the stuff shipped to your house. So it made it easy to limit contact when contact needed to be limited. Everybody can on Amazon all they want, but it was a lifeline. It was a lifeline in, in the last year. And also, I'm, I'm a big fan of their Prime Video service. They have a lot of really good old 1980 horror movies on there. Yeah, they it is pretty good. It's hard to navigate for Oh, me. their selection is great. Off-put by their interface, which sucks canal water, yeah. It's terrible, yeah. Yep. And it's also my favorite place to go when I'm when I've had too much wine and all of a sudden I get packages. I get presents from... <laughs> I get presents a couple of days later like, where, where did this come from? I ordered it. Oh. <laughs> Does anybody have a good time frame on when that whole two-day shipping is going to come back into effect? <laughs> I know. I have a bunch of stuff outstanding. like yeah, some That quietly some, went away. Well, I suppose it had to when the demand would have been so great that it, they couldn't have done it. Right. You know? I mean, they pretty much built their own postal service to deliver their own delivery service to build their stuff. They stopped using, right? what, like UPS and... All the last mile carriers, they, they said, yeah, we'll just hire people to do that and give them trucks. And, right. and that's what they did. All right. And let's get on to July the 6th. Now, in direct contrast to staying in your house for about a year, on July 6, 2016, everybody left their house, finally, uh, because Pokemon Go was made available for cell phones everywhere. Well, I wasn't the first augmented reality game, but boy, was it the most popular one for that summer. I remember, I remember just seeing clumps and clumps of people like on street corners in the town I live in, right? In downtown, just standing around in like thirty people as holding, all staring at their phones because they were capturing non-existent digital Pokemon yeah. things. It yeah, I, I was like, what the hell are they doing? I I didn't know, and then I had, you know I had to have somebody tell me and all that. Now I used to play this other game called Ingress. Mm-hmm. Which is actually made by the same company. So, uh, Poke- Pokemon Go used the same like engine and you know and maps and stuff like that. And Ingress is like a science fiction thing where there was like portals. It was a green team and a blue team, and you had to like claim the portals and stuff like that. A lot of the portals were in the same locations as a lot of the Pokemon gyms. So I'm over there, you know, at the beach, and I'm you know hanging around. And I'm grabbing a couple of portals while I'm there, and then. The, all these people are flicking their fingers on their phones, and I'm like, what is going on? It's like everybody's playing Ingress all of a sudden, but no, they're all playing Pokemon Go. Like, the interface for it was really neat. You know, you sort of look through the phone's camera, and then, whoop, there it is. Yep, yep. There's, you know, Bulbasaur or whatever, and you can catch them and collect them, and I think there was a component where you could fight with other people, and I didn't play it because the phone I had did not support the game. Because oh. uh, it was very old. But my kids played it a little bit yep. and had some fun. Yeah. I tried it for a, a bit uh, during the pandemic. Like, I'd go walking. Yep. You know, I'd just, you know, I'd go walking around my neighborhood because you got to get outside and get some fresh air and all that. And um, I don't know. I liked Ingress better. <laughs> Honestly, I liked Ingress better. Mm-hmm. I, ne- I never really followed Pokemon, so I don't know. But it was kind of cool that everybody got out of their house. And there was like a, a like a little community, too. Like, I know, yep. I know people that made friends. Let's hang out like legit friends, you know, playing Pokemon. Right. Good for them. Right. Yeah. And I'm sure it did plenty of business for like all the like the little, not just in my town, clearly, but like in every town where there are like shops and coffee places and bars and other stuff where, you know, it wasn't just kids that were playing this game. It was grown up adults too. Right. So anything that draws people out to someplace, hey, let's go get a pizza while we, you know, collect Pikachu. All right. Why not? Pizza chew. All right, so let's get on to the next day, July the 7th. July the 7th, 1928. The day that the greatest thing ever happened, and nothing has been greater since. 
as far as we know. But sliced bread is sold for the first time by the Chilcot Baking Company in Missouri. Yeah, that's right. Using a machine invented by a guy named Otto Rowaiter, the greatest forward step in the baking industry since wrapped bread. So <laughs> the best thing since wrapped bread was sliced bread, and the best thing since sliced bread is there ain't nothing better than sliced oh, bread, apparently. On. Post-it notes. Post-it notes. The best thing since the way you can't make a sandwich with post-it notes, at least not one I want to eat. Well, everybody has their own thing, I guess. <laughs> no, post-it notes are a fine invention. Uh, but sliced bread, huh? It makes you wonder, like, what were sandwiches like before that, you know? They were non-uniform. I think that's that's the phrase. They were less uniform, so. I always just imagine they were probably more like like Subway. Yeah. Like that. Sure. Or here's the thing, all right? I, uh, why don't they do the U cut anymore at Subway? Remember the U cut? <laughs> I don't. Yes, I remember the U cut. I don't know. Why don't they um, do that? I like that. Everybody liked that, but they don't do it anymore. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the reason is for them stopping that and for changing out whatever they used to get for their tuna supply with nine lives. But uh. <laughs> Subway, I, there was a comedian who said, "Yeah, only in America can you be convinced that any, eating an entire loaf of bread with your meal is healthy." <laughs> I, I had read that that they can't even classify their bread as bread in some parts of Europe because the amount of sugar that's in it. Oh, really? And I'm somebody that bakes bread just to bake it. Yeah. And you only need a little bit of sugar if you're going to bake bread to get a fast rise out of rapid rise yeast or something. Right. So anything that gets added to it after that is just for the flavor profile. Sure. And I don't notice that their bread is all that sweet. But then again, I'm generally... I, you know, it's loaded with hot peppers and right. olives and onions and other stuff. Yeah. So yeah, it's like I guess it's like Wonder Bread. Remember yeah. one, that was that yeah. Wonder Bread? That was that was like wicked sugary. I used to ask you my can, mom, you can still get that. Yeah, can we get can we get Wonder Bread? She's like, no, because it was basic. Yeah, it was basically like a sugar sandwich. Yeah, 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 yeah. They used to make that right off uh, the avenue. Nope, that was Sunbeam. That's- oh, that's right. That was Sunbeam Bakery, wasn't it? Yeah, the Sunbeam Bakery. I mean, that was closer to where I lived. Well, I used to like love going down that area because it smelled so good. Everybody that lived down there were like, oh, you like that? I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Every day smell. I'm hungry all the time. <laughs> I woke up the other night. I ate half my mattress. I dreamed I was fighting a crouton. <laughs> a crouton futon. All right. Let's get on. Well, on that note. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's get on to the next day. Yes. Uh, the next day we have an unusual holiday. July the 8th. Uh, we celebrate Video Games Day. And how do you celebrate Video Games Day, Bill? I eat sliced bread. Eat sliced <laughs> bread. I put out the holy sign for Pac-Man. It, it surprises me, like gen, like Generation X, like us. A lot of people like stopped playing video games, and I'm I think, yes. and I think they're all insane. <laughs> it's like, okay. what are you talking about? It's like we we grew up. With the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, the you know the first. Yep. I mean, it wasn't the first home system, but it was the first real you know at home system, first yes. big mass market one. And I love watching the progression of uh, of video games. You know, going from like the four K games, two K games, like we had on the uh, Twenty Six Hundred. Right. To these like right. Blu-ray extravaganzas now on the PlayStation Four yeah. and Five. That, yeah, super even better than photorealism and yeah. and immersion and stuff and the VR Every stuff and all that. It's like, and yeah. and then I got I got like some friends are like, oh yeah, I haven't owned a system since PlayStation One. I'm like, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I I like them. I'm I, I'm not as anywhere near as avid a gamer as I as I used to be when I was much younger. But it's one of those time things. But when I get an opportunity to play, yep. I still like to sit and play. What are you playing? G- give me your like I don't know 
top three games of the last five years or something. Oh, geez, five years. Or like, what do you tend to play most or go back to play most often? Uh, for the past year or two, I have been playing a lot of Gran Turismo Sport. I've always liked racing games. Yeah, me too. And I think the reason why I like racing games so much is because you're always doing something. Yeah. You know, you, this, it's you're always busy. You're always doing something. Certain games, like I remember my friend Rob was really big into the Silent Hill games. Yep. All you do is walk. It's like it's a <laughs> yeah. it's a walking simulator. Yeah, I had a problem with a couple of like the games that were super popular and relentlessly recommended to me, and it was like, what? This is just walking in the desert. What am I doing this for? This is like Fallout. The Fallout. Games. Oh yeah, Red Dead Redemption. Right. I downloaded that one because it was uh, it was free on the uh, service that I use. I was like, this is a horse riding simulator. All you do is is clip-clop your way around the video game. And like every once in a while, you got to go do something. And then they came out with Red Dead Redemption right. 2, and my friend was all excited about it. I was like, oh, what are you going to do? Ride a horse more? And then he's like, shut up, shut up. <laughs> and then I bugged him about it a couple of weeks later. I was like, hey, how's that horse simulator going? And he goes, yeah, it's kind of all you do is ride a horse around. <laughs> <laughs> For me, I'm, I like racing simulators like you do, and I love the Gran Turismo uh, series. I've liked that since I think PlayStation 2. I didn't have a PlayStation yeah. 1. And I really like flights, combat flight simulators too, but not not like ones with modern planes. I like World War 1 oh. and World War 2 era. So I've I've played a lot of the Sturmovic games and I used to play a game called Red Baron 2 and I have Rise of Flight and some others that are that are really fun and I'm I'm going to put this out if you find me playing online i'm the guy that's you're, you're gonna shoot down the fastest because i suck at them but but they're really fun to play and they're really immersive and i like when they're accurate it's always been something i've been interested in since i first got a oh, computer yeah. i remember so. having flight simulator 2 on the commodore 64 and being all excited that i could take right. off out of the airport that's like right down the street from my house you know the, one of the things i like about combat flight simulators especially online ones is you can practice taking off from an airfield anywhere that the map yep. will let you, right? Any map of Europe or different uh, combat theaters while simultaneously people are trying to shoot you <laughs> off the runway, <laughs> which adds a little bit of pressure. I have this one in my VR helmet, Star Wars Squadrons, and yep. you know, you're flying X-Wings and TIE Fighters and stuff like that, and you can play it flat, but playing it inside the VR helmet is, swoop, that is crazy. Crazy. As a Star yeah. Wars fan, it's like everything you have ever wanted. I thought of grabbing uh, a VR helmet just to play IL-2 Sturmovic because there's a VR version of that as well that I can get through Steam. My son has a VR helmet that I've played a game called Beat Saber. Have you ever played yeah. Beat Saber? We were just talking about that where uh, somebody made like a mod on it where instead of like the things that you swipe at, it was like Jedi younglings. And you, <laughs> it's like the the Anakin nice. Skywalker version, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's morbid. Played it long enough to be able to beat uh, a Radiohead song, and that was that oh, was, that you, was so fun. you played it long enough to beat a saber, to beat Reckoner. Not not all that long ago. I think it was like last week. I had fired up my Raspberry Pi emulator, and I was playing the original Pitfall that we talked about not that long ago. There was just something so soothing about playing old video games like that. You know, there's no... Like, the, the sound effects aren't booming. There's barely any sound effects to be, you know, to be had, so to speak. There's not, like, a lot of tension or stress. It's just very casual, you know, casual gaming. And also, you know, it's from my right. childhood, too. So something that was just... It's like an old pillow that you don't want to throw away, you know what I mean? It's just like something warm and, right, right, and comforting right. about it. I have no real like no real interest in the really old like the 2600 era of, of stuff anymore. I was always sort of like, "Eh, with those when they were new." I always wanted a ColecoVision cuz the graphics were better and my parents were like, yeah. "No." 
So the thought of going back and playing 2,600 games is like... Eh. Out of the 500 video games, 500 or, or so video games that were released for the 2,600, honestly, there's like maybe eight of them that I would like to go back and play on a regular basis. Eight, if right, that. Right. They're, they're, they're little crappy games, but sometimes it's the littlest, crappiest game is all you need. We're in the world now where games can can take 25 hours or more to play or be completely open world and have no time limit and no no goal so they're they're non-zero sum and you know we're talking back about stuff that was like if you can beat the third yeah. screen you win and you know and it might take you 10 hours to figure out how to beat the third screen or it'll cheat and not let you beat the third screen or whatever oh i just um, watched a video not long ago about video games that were impossible to finish like they made them impossible because they didn't feel like finishing like, like programming the game yeah <laughs> yep. Funny stuff. All right, so what do we got next? Uh, July 9th. Uh, <laughs> July <laughs> July 9th of... <laughs> something funny? July something 9th funny, Jeff? Yes, it is something funny. July 9th of 1993, and it's funny in a sad okay. way. So I think we should have a... a we'll have a like very short moment of silence for, for this person, but he's described as a Canadian Darwin Award winner, so I don't know what that tells you, but it doesn't tell me that good things have happened to this person. Uh, a guy named Gary Hoy who was a lawyer for uh, a law firm in Canada, uh, used to, as this describes him, showcase the tensile strength of the windows in the high-rise building where his law office was located by running at the window, smashing into it, and bouncing back. Oh, boy. Which, I don't even know how you have that conversation. And, like, oh, uh, you know, thanks so much for coming in. I know this is going to be a really trying time for you. We're going to be going to probate soon. I know there's a lot of family arguments over, you know, your, your grandfather's estate, and you've chosen to sue, and I'm glad you've chosen us to represent you oh you know what let me show you this thing <laughs> see that window <laughs> and then run across the room and bounce off the window this building's wicked strong is that how that happens i guess yeah. you know or like do you like how do you work that into a conversation like hey bob how was your weekend not bad hey you know what this building's really strong you want to see something cool you know go bounce off the window unfortunately and again owing to the tensile strength of the glass mr hoy the lawyer who graduated from law school and took the bar exam and was licensed to practice law, ran at the window, hit the window, and the window, because it had such high tensile strength, didn't shatter into a million pieces and cut him up. It just popped out of its frame, <laughs> and he went with it. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> 24 stories Ooh. to the ground. Is it going to be all right? <laughs> I don't know. It must have been a bitch, though, because he was watching himself fall through the window <laughs> all the way to the ground. Don't be awesome uh, if, it, if the window didn't break. Yeah. But it hit the ground. That's oh. yeah, a strong window. <laughs> This thing, well, look at the tensile strength of that thing. We're, we're going to be picking up Hoy with a blotter and some paper towels, but... <laughs> get some Windex and yeah. we'll get this all taken care of. Put it right back up there. Yeah, he was described as like the best and brightest at the firm. <laughs> I don't know what that tells you, but the firm didn't stay open too long after that. And I don't know if it's because people just didn't want to go to the, <laughs> the law firm where the lawyers are so dumb they accidentally throw themselves out the window. I don't like that office. Or... It's too drafty. <laughs> <laughs> or if they all just said... You know, we're never going to be able to get around this when we talk to anybody. Let's just, you know what? Let's just, let's just break up the band. <laughs> we'll go do some solo projects and then, you know, maybe we'll have a reunion tour in 10 years or something. And that's the end of that. <sighs> Gary Hoy. Gravity, Gary. Gravity. <laughs> it's the law, my friend. Yeah, at that point known as Gravity Gary Hoy. Now I'm going to, I'm going to resurrect my father's voice from the dead. Because this is the sort of thing that my dad, had he been there with people watching Gary demonstrate the tensile strength <laughs> of the windows on the 24th floor of this office building, and the window popped out of its frame, and he went, and the window went out into free space, and then down to their death. 
my dad's first response would have been, well, he won't do that again. <laughs> hey, uh, here's something that they're not going to do again. Probably. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. Speaking of blunders, July 10th, 1985, after just about 10 short weeks of being on the shelves, Coca-Cola decided that maybe releasing a new version of the Coca-Cola recipe was not exactly the greatest idea. Uh, Yeah, just a couple of months earlier, they had decided that they were going to come out with a new Coke and uh, replace the old Coke uh, flavor. And on this day, uh, July 10th, 1985, Old Coke came back as Coca-Cola Classic. It it came about because of an ad campaign that Pepsi was doing where they were doing taste tests in malls. Remember that? That is actually a misnomer. Is it? Yeah. Uh, the, The common belief is what you were just saying, that they used to do a thing called the Pepsi Challenge. Right. Where they had a blind taste test where people would try Coke and try Pepsi. And they would, on the commercial, they would just show everybody picking Pepsi. So the misnomer is that Coke said that they were going to make their stuff taste more like Pepsi. But, right. But that wasn't the case. The case was is like over the couple of years prior to new Coke, Coke had started making Diet Coke. Uh, and Diet Coke has a you know a different taste than Coca-Cola does. It does yeah. And people were actually going on about how much they enjoyed the taste of Diet Coke. Whenever I still drank soda, I actually really, I drank Diet Coke. Yeah, Diet Coke was my jam too. Yeah, I like the taste. So new Coke wasn't made to make Coke taste like Pepsi. It was made to make Coke taste like Diet Coke. Oh, they could have yeah. just given you like a, a tablet full of plastic bits to chew on afterwards to simulate the aftertaste of Diet, yeah. Diet Coke. Or just drink Diet Coke. <laughs> or just drink Diet Coke, right? It's like, like all the money comes in the same funnel, you ding dong. It's, it's like people who like Bud Light and not Budweiser. Like, yeah. what? Oh, is Budweiser going to do? Make the regular Budweiser lighter? <laughs> you yeah. yeah, we'll get the same customer pool. Yeah, you know? like I said, all the money comes down the same chute, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, so then they came out with uh, Coca-Cola Classic. Yep. People were buying that up. And then New Coke just wasn't selling at all and it got phased out and then it came back it actually came back a couple of years later as coke 2 yeah that didn't last long either no 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 yeah it is notorious like gone down in history as one of the biggest if not the biggest commercial blunders in uh in marketing history yeah and not to be outdone pepsi you know maybe about five years later came out with crystal pepsi remember that uh yes and i liked it it I mean, basically, it's a cola. Cola doesn't have to be brown. That's an artificial color. You right. Know? So they were. it was a cola, but it was clear. Uh, so, you, so you had the, the thing without all the artificial colors in it. That Yeah, that did not sell well. I liked it. It's, it still has like a weird cult following of people yeah. who are like, I remember it's the greatest thing. They bring it so back. These are the same people that like can, can tell me that they need to drink Fruitopia and they miss the glass Snapple bottles and really like Blind Melon, you know. <laughs> Oh, you know what I miss, though? Remember New York Seltzer? Oh, yeah, I do, actually, with the styrofoam, like, earth-destroying bottles that they made. Yeah, with yeah, 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 on. yeah, but those were really good, and they, I liked their root beer, and that was clear, you know, it was like right. a clear root beer. Do you remember OK Soda? Yes, I do. Yes, It was I, test marketed at, yeah. when I moved to New Hampshire. They test marketed it in, in this part of New England. It was like Coca-Cola's answer to Dr. Pepper, and then they just bought Dr. Pepper. Well, it, it was a little different. It, it was like Coke and Dr. Pepper kind of mixed together is yeah. what it, the flavor profile was. Right. And it was in really weird silver cans with, with cartoons on them by Daniel Klaus, the guy that did the Ghost World comic book. Right. 
Yeah. And it was the whole thing was like the ad campaign and everything was like super duper weird 90s maudlin shoegazy. Yes. And it was definitely marketed to the class of 1992. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It was interesting. It They had machines here selling it for about, I don't know, a year. Yeah. And then whoop, they were all gone. And that was okay. <laughs> that was Coke's second biggest marketing failure, I guess. I thought it was a neat idea. And I love the cans and the art style and everything. Yep. I thought that stuff was all really cool. Yep. It's just the soda didn't taste good. There's a, there's a little flaw in the plan right there. All right, let's wrap up the week on the 11th. What do you got? July 11th. In, uh, uh, I wish I could have asked this to you as another trivia question, Bill, but I'm, I'm not going to. Okay. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to frame it like a trivia question. How long do you think a typical car run of a model lasts? Without changes to the model, really at all. Oh, like uh, five, five years, ten years, something like that. Right? Oh, no, not even. I'd say about four. So you know me, I buy nothing but Honda Civics, gray ones yeah. at that. <laughs> yeah, they change their model. I think it's like every four years. Yeah, that's about right for the life cycle of a of a car model. Well, in 2019, the very last Volkswagen Beetle, the old school Volkswagen Beetle with the four cylinder pancake engine. What year? Uh, they not 2019. Wow. The last of them was produced in Pueblo, Mexico. That was the last place in the world that was making them after 80 years and like five enhancements. Like, well, we'll let the windows roll down. You know, they put a back seat in for the 25th model year or something, but it's like, it's still the old style. It looks like stamped metal Volkswagen Beetle that you see in the original Herbie. That'd be a great idea. Heat. Heat in the car. <laughs> And some sort of safety devices. They, when I used to own my the Volkswagen that I had, one of the Volkswagens that I had, they had a convertible yellow VW Bug. I was marveling at just how dangerous that car would be to drive. And I, it was so bad, I was like, like my kids with me. I'm like, man, don't even touch this car. This car's so dangerous. Just sitting here in the showroom, it could probably kill you. I bet you, you know? the thing ran, though. I bet it did. Unlike their other GTI. makes and models. <laughs> I'm looking directly at you, Volkswagen. I'm not going to say that they have problematic vehicles, but so 80 years is how long, how long they produced. How long they produced the one car that didn't break down much and didn't need a lot to fix. Have you ever been and, in one? Uh, have you ever been I in have. a Volkswagen? Yeah, it my, was a long time ago, but yes. My friend Scott had one, and it was like goldish beige color, just like Ted Bundy's. I was very excited about that. But it was like he goes, "This is the weirdest car." He goes, "Look at this!" Like he's sitting down in the in the driver's seat, and he can like flat palm, not just touch, flat palm the passenger window. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they are they are tiny. Um, there was one for, that came across for sale on like Facebook Marketplace or something. A few. I don't know, maybe a month ago here. Yep. And it was, you know, rebuilt motor and it pictures the floor. There was no rot. It needed paint, but everything else was sort of there. And it was like 2,600 bucks. And I hemmed and hawed for a while about like, oh, I had to go pull the trigger on this and, and, and just go get it. Because like, when else am I going to run across one of these that's not, right, right. you know, car crusher material? I, I figured if I drove home and showed up at here that my at that point, my kids would be like, it's intervention time. <laughs> you know? Your daughter starts crying. I wanted to go to college and you bought a stupid car. <laughs> But you'll be able to drive it too, Meg. It's just not going to get you anywhere fast. How, how fast does it go? Eh, that's, that's not really a thing, is it? <laughs> so that's not one of the options that this one, this model doesn't have that. I saw one that actually came with like a coffee maker, which is awesome. Probably siphoned off eight of the 13 horsepower just to make the coffee maker work, though. You know, in that Gran Turismo that I was talking about earlier, there's a, a VR version of it, you know? So yep. you, you can like drive around in these cars with the, the VR helmet on it. So nice. I was able to drive a Volkswagen Beetle from the safety of my own home. I have also driven that car in the same version of Gran Turismo that you have. And 
it's a hoot, yeah. Yeah. You can put it, like a million dollars of mods into it and it still goes, it still tops out at like 58 miles an hour. <laughs> you don't have to slow down for corners at all because it doesn't go fast enough to make it like a yeah. difference, yeah. <laughs> and we're going to go on to the celebrity birthdays. July the 5th of 1810, P.T. Barnum, founder, wow. yeah, founder of the Barnum and Bailey Circus. Or- Man, P.T. Barnum's museum, right? The Museum yes. of Oddities or whatever it was called in right. Philadelphia. Yes. You taught me a very uh, funny story about that. There was a bunch of signs all over the museum that said, this way to the egress. The egress is this way. Don't miss the giant egress. Yeah. And egress is like, I think it's Russian. For exit. It's Latin. Oh, it's Latin. Latin yeah. for exit, yeah. For exit. And people were just like rushing through the museum to get to the exit. And then they'd have to pay to get back in because they missed everything because they were looking yeah, for the egress. Yeah, we used to dump them out into just a blind alley. Like, that must have sucked. I, I, if I was Barnum, I would have put my office above and adjacent to that so I could just watch people come out and be like, God damn it. This is, oh, it's going to cost a buck to get back in. And outside of the circus, I mean, it'd be really easy to talk about the circus stuff. But another thing that uh, Mr. Barnum is known for is something called the Barnum effect, which is the tendency to accept certain information as true character assessments or horoscopes even when the information is so vague as it's basically worthless Um, hey look i saw the fiji mermaid that he used to exhibit (laughs) and i believe that monkey fish hybrid for sure all right next up on the six who do you got uh july 6 1946 a man named sylvester stallone (laughs) <laughs> He's the writer, amazingly enough, and director of Rocky, which is, by and large, his probably his greatest creation and the thing that he'll be known for forever. Still active in film today, and he's like, uh, I'm not going to do the math, but he's very old for an action star. Yeah, he came right out of the gate strong, because that was like his first like movie, really. Yeah, and he, well, I think he won an Oscar for that movie. Well, for the screen I, mean, movie. Ex- I mean, except for the uh, softcore porn he did earlier, but I mean... <laughs> oh, that's right. No, he did do that. And yeah. then he was also in a Corman movie. He was in Death Race 2000 oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. as a Machine Gun Joe Baturbo. And he has my favorite Sylvester Stallone line of any Sylvester Stallone movie. That's a lot to say. What is it? Some people might think you're great, but I think you're just one big potato. <laughs> my favorite Sylvester Stallone line is, You're a lousy shot. I don't like lousy shots. You wasted uh, that kid. Now I'm going to waste you from Cobra. Cobra. It was like it was written by someone with a severe head injury. No. Do you know the story behind Cobra? It's amazing. No, I don't know the story yeah. behind Cobra. They wanted Sylvester Stallone to play Axel Foley in Beverly Hills Cop, right? So they, oh. they gave him the script. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I'll use all right. I'm going to do some rewrites to it. And while he was doing all these rewrites to it, <laughs> they were like, screw this guy. They got Eddie Murphy. <laughs> And he's like, hey, uh, yeah, I'm all done. It's my, uh, it's my treatment with the script. They're like, yeah, we're all set, dude. So the script that he wrote that was supposed to be Beverly Hills Cop, he was like, hey, I still like this. This is all right. So that's what Cobra is. Cobra was Beverly Hills Cop with the Sylvester Stallone treatment. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, that Cobra is actually what Beverly Hills Cop almost was. Now it's it's easy to sort of pick on him for his his like sort of type mannerisms and things, but like the guy's a really good writer. Rocky's a fantastically well written film, right. and he made his way into the MCU as well. He was in the uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy Part Two, I believe. Yep. Next up on July the seventh, we have the only surviving member of the Beatles. <laughs> Richard Starkey, or as we know him, Ringo Starr. He's the last one left after George Harrison died. <laughs> Paul went first in 1966, as we all know. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ringo Starr, the drummer from <laughs> drummer uh, from the Beatles. Uh, then he went on to have a solo career. Uh, you know, a successful solo career and a successful acting career. I mean, ne- never lived up to the hype of the Beatles like on his own. But I always liked Ringo. I always thought Ringo was funny. You know, I think I think he's an interesting guy. There's some really funny videos of him like in like the early '70s with Keith Moon. He and Keith Moon were really good friends. Oh, yeah. Where they're sort of hamming it up for the camera, and it's they're really funny. I, I like the movie Caveman. Yep, I remember seeing that in the movies with my parents. And I saw Ringo live with the uh, really? with the All Star Band. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. It was uh, oh, nice. the other people in the band. I saw Edgar Winter, one of the guys from Mr. Mister, one of the guys from the Romantics, and the drummer from David Lee Roth's band. Ringo's always the one that's always, that's always talked about, like, oh, he's not really the, the good musician in the band or anything. But, like, as far as performing goes, no. he has never stopped. He's literally been doing this since 1963. I love that quote from John Lennon. They're like, is Ringo Starr the best drummer in the world? It's like, best drummer in the world? He's not even the best drummer in the Beatles. <laughs> you can watch him talk about how he plays in some videos too, and it's really yeah. interesting. And he's really humble, and yeah, I don't know. I, I like the guy. What can I tell you? All right, next um, up on the eighth, July eighth. Apparently related to everybody by six people. Kevin Bacon, born in nineteen fifty eight in yep. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. My favorite film that he's in is Tremor, uh, Tremors. Mine is Friday the Thirteenth Part One. Nah. <laughs> Does he have any lines in that movie other than? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, he's got a. Uh, I mean, there's just throwaway stuff, but yeah, that was like I think that was his first right. movie. Yeah, well, I think that was... Yeah. I I have one degree to Kevin Bacon because I met Kevin Bacon at Spooky World. They were filming Mystic River, but we used to get a lot of celebrities at that park. Kevin Bacon, Sean Penn, and Robin Wright all came through. I did not recognize Kevin Bacon. He had big horn rim glasses on, like big... And one of those bucket hats that I can't stand, right. you know, like the Gilligan hat. So yeah. my uh, character that night was a big game hunter, right? So I started making fun of his hat. I was like, oh, nice hat. What, are we going fishing? Is that what we're doing? We're going fishing tonight? He's giving me this, like, this big smile. And then there was like a animatronic of a suit of armor that like popped out. And then I looked at him. I go, ah, my mother always told me there'd be nights like this. And he just gives me this weird smile, right? And I was like, hey, they can't all be good. I'd be in Hollywood if that was the case. <laughs> but I didn't know it was Kevin Bacon. Oh, that's so at the funny. end of the night, we're talking, you know, my friends and I. And they're like, oh, yeah, Kevin Bacon with his big glasses and his bucket hat. I was like, oh, wait, that was Kevin Bacon? <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. I was like, I totally made fun of that guy. <laughs> all right, next up. On July the 9th, a celebrity extraordinaire, probably the most famous person I can think of off the top of my head, co-host of the Twibbly podcast, <laughs> Jeff McLarge-Huge. That's right. It's my birthday. On July. July the 9th. Happy birthday, Jeff. So any, anybody else who gets mentioned has to pay me birthday rent. That's right. Uh, another person that you may or may not have heard of that you share your birthday with, born in 1956, Mr. Tom Hanks. He's old. He's older than me. I'm going to have to pay him birthday rent. <laughs> We need somebody younger. Got his start on TV and Bosom Buddies. Yeah, a problematic television show. (laughs) (laughs) Hanks jumped into movies early. He did a bunch of early sort of comedies like uh, The Volunteers and weird sort of weirder stuff. I freaking love Joe versus the Volcano. Joe versus the Volcano. That's the one I was trying to pull out of my brain. I freaking love that movie. Yeah, that's a fun one. Uh, Good cast in that too. He's, you know, he's so well known for like his dramatic roles, like, you know, Castaway and Philadelphia and stuff like that. But he has got such amazing comedic timing. When he started to do dramas, people were like, that guy, the guy that was in Volunteers in like right. in Splash. Like, how is he the straight person in Splash? He was the straight man in Splash. Yeah. 
and he was really good at it. The stuff that I remember him enjoying his performances the most in are things that are more off-kilter, like Road to Perdition, a great 1930s gangster movie based on a comic book. It was awesome. Groucho Marx actually said that. He goes, everybody is surprised whenever a comedian can do drama. He goes, but it's actually way more surprising than a dramatic actor that can do comedy. Right. I remember, um, again, not Tom Hanks, but when I saw the movie Colossal, Jason Sudeikis from Saturday Night Live. Have not. He's in that. It's a dramatic role that he plays, and he's astonishingly good. I think that there's something in, in the way that comedians are able to communicate that makes them best suited for the kind of roles that are like that. And uh, Tom Hanks has actually, on several occasions, taken over hosting for Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And I always look forward to that because he's super funny. He's also my favorite uh, repeat guest on Saturday Night Live and is in the best of all of the Celebrity Jeopardy episodes playing himself. (laughs) And Tom Hanks has got his hand caught in a pickle jar. (laughs) I wanted a pickle. Just let go. And he lets go of the jar. And he's like, no, the pickle. But I want a pickle. Just let go of the pickle and you can get your hand out of the pickle jar. I want a pickle. Uh, It's very funny. I've gone back and watched that one. A thousand times, I think. All right, next up on the 10th. July 10th, 1942. The first and the greatest rock and roll musician to ever come out of New Hampshire. Ronnie James Dio is born in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. He's from New Hampshire? He is indeed. I'm I'm making the, the warding off the evil eye devil horns in his honor right now. And although he was only two foot five, he fronted... He fronted several legendary late 70s hard rock and metal bands, like not only his his eponymous band Dio, Rainbow in the Dark's best song ever, but Heaven and Hell, Rainbow, and he was the first guy to take over. Heaven and Hell was a band? Yeah. Yep. I thought that was just a Black Sabbath album. Nope. Well, maybe, maybe it was. I don't know. I thought that was that was what he was touring as last, and I thought it was Ronnie James Dio was having and help, but whatever. Oh, okay, yeah, all right. Yeah, he's the first guy that took over for Ozzy Osbourne when Ozzy Osbourne was unceremoniously <laughs> told to go find the egress of <laughs> Black Sabbath, yep. and, and off he went and did his time in Rainbow, too. He's one of the better, you know, we both love Graham Bonnet, yep. but he was a great singer for Rainbow as well. Yeah, he was. And was super duper duper energetic and positive. And I still can't get over the fact he was from New Hampshire. I thought he was like born in a castle somewhere. <laughs> He definitely throws that vibe off like, I'm sure that, you know, the doctor had to be something like, Dr. Polidori would be delivering your child, Mrs. James Dio. But uh, something. But yeah, Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Huh? That's the not the best thing about Portsmouth, but one of the best things about Portsmouth is that he came from. And wrapping up the birthdays on the 11th, classic actor from Russia. Originally, a man uh, born in 1920, a band by the name of Yul Brenner. Yeah, you know, probably yeah. most famous for The King and I. I loved him in his reds. He did like something like 1,500 performances of The King and I on Broadway. And then they actually did a movie version of it, and he and he was in that as well. Yep, he was great in that. I, I loved him in The Magnificent Seven and The Return of the Magnificent Seven. Yep. Or The Magnificent Seven Return uh, as Chris the Gunslinger. Fantastic part and one of my favorites of, of all Western movies. He's Yeah, he's and, done a uh, lot of like crazy good movies. Like, uh, you know, he was in The Ten Commandments. Uh, like you said, Magnificent Seven, uh, Return. He's done a lot of like weird B movies too. Like, you ever see Westworld? I mean, it was a great television series. Did you ever see the movie movie? Yeah. Westworld? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's odd. And then he did a sequel to it called Future World. Yes, both of those were based on books by Michael Crichton. He wrote and directed them too. Right, the guy that did Jurassic Park. Jurassic right? Park, yeah. which is pretty much the same story. Yes, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, it's the yeah, same thing. Right. He also did a movie called Here Comes the Fuss. Known not only for his acting ability, but like his trademark shaven head. Yep. He still carried a little bit of a... He was born in Russia, I think, right? Yes. Soviet Union? Yep. Or 
and had a little bit of an accent that he carried through his entire career and and helped draw him out and make him more unique when you ran into him in a film. So Yeah, he ended up dying of lung cancer at age 65. And prior to his death, he filmed a bunch of commercials saying, Hello, I'm Yul Brenner. I'm dead now. Which are really weird and morose. But that was like his idea. And the commercials didn't air until a year after he died. And they were like anti-smoking commercials because he died of lung cancer brought on by smoking. I guess he'd quit smoking in like the early 1970s, but by then the damage had been done. By the time it was diagnosed, there was nothing that could be done because it was all over his body. So Somebody had like a beautiful singing voice, but just after years of pounding down, you know, sucking on cigarettes and all that, it's just, I mean, even if you don't end up with a disease, you, you know, just ruins your vocal cords and you just end up recording. The worst song ever. All right, Mr. McLarge Huge, what do you got in the canon? Uh, in the canon today, I have a song that all of you will remember because you probably still hear it if you are at a doctor's office in the waiting room or dentist office having your... Praying to have your teeth drilled rather than listen to right, the song. Right. It's, it's a song that for in, in 2012, I think it was literally by, required by law to be just played continuously over and over again and, you know, like using the loop feature on an iPod. And it's Gautier's song... Somebody that I used to know. Oh, God. How do you say his name? Gautier. It's a phonetic pronunciation of G-A-U-T-H-I-E-R, which is how his name is really spelled. All right. And that's pronounced in French as Gautier. All right. See, I made a joke. I already don't like him for that. (laughs) You're going to like him him less in a second. I I made a joke whenever he, because I never liked this song. I, I never liked it at all. But I made a joke. I used to call him Goatsy. Based on an er- <laughs> based on an early internet meme, and let me tell you, anybody that's listening to me right now, I am not only telling you, do not Google Goatsy. I'm not telling. Yeah. I'm forbidding you. Do yeah. not Google. Yeah, I, you, wait, 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 wait. You're gonna have the opposite effect though. Like if you forbid our audience from going and Google searching G O A T S E as a way to go find pictures of Gautier, that's what they're gonna do. Bro. I don't care. You're on your own. Do not do it. You're you're flooding your own basement at this point. You're, you're just I don't, you're just encouraging them. We're gonna get so many so many angry. No no Facebook I'm tell no don't at me. Leave me out of this. All right. I, the thing with this song is, and I I brought this up a couple of uh, weeks ago when we were talking about William Hung. Before we go any further, let's just play the clip and get get this freaking out of the way. So bad. It's, it has no crescendo. Do you know that's the problem with the song? Is it's it's, it's just it's like a, just an A and yeah. for four and a half minutes until the girl does that like yes and no, then that yeah. like it wakes you up out of a coma. But I think yep. the reason why this song was so popular is just like when we were talking about William Hung, not so much William Hung, but the song that he he sang with "I Believe I Can Fly." Is this is a song that people feel a connection to because everybody wants to be able to fly and everybody has that somebody in their life that they were super close to and now they're just 
not there anymore. There's somebody that they used to know. And there are people like, oh, I have someone like that. So they feel relatable to it, completely overlooking the fact that the song is a steaming pile of crap. It is. It's like it's like a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy of a B-side of an Adele record. <laughs> Is really what it's like. Oh, you know, I just, I thought you were gonna say what people used to say to me, and I could they'd be like, oh, you know, it reminds me of the police, and I'm like, don't you dare besmirch the good name of the police. No, it's you know what it reminds me of. It reminds me of Dream of the Blue Turtles. It reminds me of Sting as a solo artist because he has a similar voice to Sting and a similar voice kind of. It's just the song is I don't know. It's just structured in a way that isn't exciting, and the material is eh, it's it's shoegazery without being interesting. I guess I don't know. <laughs> Like, one of the guys that had a birthday this week was Peter Murphy from Bauhaus, who who turned shoegazing into an art form. Right. And and this just doesn't rise to that at all. It's it's almost, it should just be used in a commercial for people who want, like, frozen pizza. Everybody wonders where Goatsy, you know, what happened to him here. <laughs> Goatye. Come on. <laughs> so, uh, so he kind of, like, dropped off of the musical map. He went back and, like, reformed his old band. He was in a band called The Basics which are aptly named. I listened to some of this stuff. It's not it's not bad, but it's nothing outstanding. It sounds like like the first two Beatles albums, really, with a little rougher edge of of, of a cut to it. Yeah. What's funny about it is that, uh, like the basics, Goatsy's uh <laughs> Yeah's uh, album, the uh, you know, band, uh, they have like 12 albums. Yeah. Go Kanye <laughs> himself only has like one plus a couple of singles. He like dropped off the musical map. What's hilarious though is if you go to the Basics Spotify page, they get about 50,000 monthly hits, which isn't a lot. I mean, I would kill to have 40,000 monthly hits for uh, for Twibbly. But Gautier's uh, page, he, he's still making 9 million monthly listens on Spotify. That's right. cuckoo bananas for a one-hit wonder. And though what's hilarious is um, the Basics have a live album. Right. And if you go to the basics, like the top five tracks, the basics number one song is somebody that somebody I, used I used to know. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's it, like it's inoffensive pop music, and I probably wouldn't be having this conversation if he didn't just disappear from the face of the earth, like and be, go back to being a drummer. He might, might have done other things that would have been more exciting and and sort of built on what he did. But like, I guess that isn't that just isn't the case. And like, what the world needs now is another like Adele type sort of modelin. Oh, God. Kind of singer that, I, I don't know, it's just, uh, who's the audience for this? I don't know. It's not me. I think people just, like, connected with this song. If you look at his top five, somebody that I used to know has, like, almost a billion hits, like 848 million. And then the next place song, the drop-off is staggering. It's right. another song, it's a song called Eyes Wide Open, and it's, like, 39 million hits. It's, I mean, it's a huge drop-off between his one hit and that. I guess if you're going to compare him to the police, that's the way to do it. Think about it. The police, they hit that, you know, that huge number one with uh, the Synchronicity album, and then they just pulled the plug right after that. So he was like, you know, somebody that I used to know, he got all these awards, all these Grammys, you know, enough money to never have to do another thing in his life. And he was like, well, I'm out of here, guys. Peace. Right. Right, exactly. Catch you later. What What's kind of cool is like he's got 1.6 billion. That's with a B, 
one point yeah. six billion YouTube views on his for somebody that I used to know song uh, with some funny commentary in the comments underneath it if you're inclined to read them. I had nothing to do with it. He purposely prevented them prevented there being advertising before, during, or after that song in this video, this upload. Yep. effectively making it impossible for him to earn any money from YouTube. And at 1.6 million, 1.6 billion views, that's sort of turning your nose at a surprisingly large amount of money. That's a lot of jingle, yeah. You know what? I think that's cool. For a show that we ultimately advertise kind of for Amazon and New Coke and some other stuff, like to be able to walk away from that and just put out this grade Z shoegazer song, that becomes ridiculously popular and has 1.6 billion views and not draw anything from it other than whatever you were paid by the record company. I don't know if it's noble, but it's it's nice that it's not somebody who's just turning it into got yay money society. So I don't know. Take that for what it's worth. I, I ran the numbers. He's still making like a quarter of a million dollars a year or just off the uh, that song on Spotify. So, well, good for you. Hey, uh, speaking of, uh, of, of which, you threw me a curveball at the beginning. You said that the first... Beatles song in America was not I Want to Hold Your Hand? That's correct. I I didn't say the first Beatles song in America was not I Want to Hold Your Hand. The first of the Beatles songs to chart on the Hot 100 was not I Want to Hold Your Hand as performed by the Beatles. All right, go on. It was in 1963, July 7th actually of 1963, the first Beatles song to chart in the U.S. on the Hot 100 was a cover of the song From Me to You by Del Shannon, who did the first Beatles song. That song, From Me to You, was on the Beatles' Meet the Beatles record. You swerved uh, me. And it charted as high as number 87. Oh, Jesus, it barely even charted. Holy cow. Yeah. Now, Del and Shannon, that, that's the guy who did Runaway, isn't it? Yes, yep. yes. He wonders why, 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 why she ran away. Probably because he was he did the first Beatles song and it, it didn't go far. Uh, there's, yes. no, there's nobody in this Beatles, guys. Yeah. Ah, nobody wants to listen to a bunch of long-haired rockers from England. And there's goofy suits with a dead singer. Yep. All right. Well, that's going to be a wrap for this week. We will see you right back here in about seven days, we'll call it. All right. Say goodnight, Jeff. Hey, goodnight, Jeff. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. Special thanks to James Cosser for our theme music. Thank you so much for listening to Twibbly. This week was way better last year. You can follow and or message us over on Instagram or on Facebook at T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Make sure you tell your friends if you like our show. And if you don't like our show, tell your friends you did like it. It'll be a great prank you can play on them. Have a good week, guys.